Hello and welcome to the good friends of Jackson Elias, a regular podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films and horror gaming in general. I'm Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Holwood. And I'm Matt Sanderson. And this episode we're returning to our strange NPCs format to discuss Edgar Casey, also known as the Sleeping Prophet. But before we get into all that Somnolent stuff, what is going on? Well, it's getting closer, folks. That submission we've been talking about for the last couple of episodes is coming even closer. The end of April is when you need to get your submissions in for the next issue of The Blasphemous Tome. Yes, we welcome submissions for written articles, whatever you have in mind that fits our remit. Everything from poetry to articles that relate to Call of Cthulhu or fiction or whatever takes your fancy of up to around 500 words. And we also welcome submissions of art for the tome. That's always very welcome. And we can accept black and white or colour. Now, backers will have noticed that we put out a reissue of issue three of the Blasphemous Tome last month. Well, Matt has kept momentum going, and now we're reissuing issue 4A of the Tome. And so this is one of our original print-only tomes from back in the olden days that Matt has revised and put into PDF and print-on-demand format. And speaking of print-on-demand, if you are backing us by the end of March, you will get a voucher, if you are at the $3 level, to get a print copy from DriveThruRPG. Yes, a discount voucher, so it's not like I'd like to give you a voucher so you get it free, but it doesn't work that way because of shipping and printing and so on. Yeah. But it is a discount voucher. And forthcoming in April will be a release of the Tome 4B, which was originally and only so far been released on PDF, but this will be available on print on demand. And I'm going to Michigan. You lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm off to Chaosium Con in April. That's April the 13th to the 16th this year, 2023, for Chaosium Con in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So if you are also there, then uh, I'd love to see you and please say hi. And now on to our main topic, Strange NPCs. Edgar Casey. The early 20th century was a boom time for psychics, clairvoyants, and other seers, in inverted commas. Especially in the aftermath of the Great War, people wanted answers to the great mysteries of life. It was easy. It was 42. Well, Douglas Adams wasn't around yet. Ah, but you just need to know what the question is. Few psychics of the time were quite as influential as the sleeping prophet, Edgar Casey. Although his success was limited during his lifetime, many of his beliefs and practices formed the basis of the New Age movement. Books based on his work became major publishing sensations in the years after his death. So what can Edgar Cayce add to our Call of Cthulhu games? Many people still believe that Cayce was a prophet and a holy man. While we have no interest in denigrating him, we should warn you that we may express some degree of scepticism about these things. Thank you to Mercutio on our Discord server for suggesting this topic. 
Who was Edgar Cayce? Edgar Cayce was born on a farm in Hopkinsville, Kentucky in 1877. Family legend apparently held that Edgar Cayce's grandfather had telekinetic powers and was able to move furniture with the power of his mind. So, I mean, this is getting off to a good start. That really, that's quite some thing. I mean, that's quite weird. It is. Being able to tell the future is one thing, because you can make, like, vague things. But moving the sideboard with your mind... Or like moving the t- what? Why would you? Why would you have that legend? It's a weird one to pick. Yeah, <laughs> unless of course he could move things with his mind. Young Edgar witnessed his grandfather's death, caused when his grandfather fell off his horse while in a shallow pond and drowned, tangled in the stirrups. Yeah, I mean that's a. It was a pretty disturbing scene that is sort of painted in one of the documentaries I saw, and you can visualise that if you fell off a horse and your feet are tangled in the stirrups. Yeah, you're probably like, yeah, you wouldn't be able to write yourself. Yeah. That would be a pretty traumatic thing for, well, for anyone to see, but particularly uh, his grandson. Yeah, yeah, because I believe Edgar was quite young when he saw that. But that didn't stop him talking to uh, his grandfather, of course. No, not Edgar. He carried on communicating with his grandfather after his death. As a child, Casey met little people in the woods and talked to them. Now, when I read that, I'm thinking hobbits. <laughs> Could be gnomes. Who knows? Believing them to be spirits from the other side. When he was 12 or 13, he reportedly met a winged woman in the woods. Or maybe in his bedroom. I think we all, I think that happened to all of us at some point or another when we were 12 or 13. Anyway, yeah. he described her as an angel who told him his dreams would come true when he became a missionary. Yeah. <laughs> and this kind of reminded me of um, William Blake as well. Yeah. You know, he, he famous, well, I don't know famously, but he, he claimed to have seen, an, I think, uh, an angel sat in his apple tree in his back garden when he was probably a similar sort of age, certainly as a child. So I don't think it's too uncommon, this recounting of mystics seeing visions that, you know, if they're Christian-minded, they're going to, express as some form of angel. Casey himself was very much a Christian. He was raised a Christian and kept what he considered a strong Christian faith all his life, even though, as we'll see, his beliefs became steadily more esoteric and, I guess from a Christian perspective, heretical. From his teens onward, he made a point of reading the Bible once every year, cover to cover, and his goal was to try to, I believe, read it once for every year of his life. So I think he probably went back and, and filled in the gaps from before he could read, or maybe not. But yeah, I, I think he claimed to have read it over 60 times. Given the uh, fantastical stuff we've already seen so far, I don't imagine that, uh, oh, I read the Bible when I was six months old, would not be a stretch. In his teens, Casey also found new ways of learning. He was a poor student until he found he could memorise the contents of books literally by sleeping on them. I wish I could fucking do that. That would be amazing. (laughs) Reciting them chapter and verse. He reported that the angel taught him how to do this. Yeah, there's this story that was in one of the documentaries where... Apparently, he had got some terrible grades at school, and his father was trying to get him to revise. And so 
Casey just basically went into his room, had a 15-minute nap, put the book under his pillow, came back, and his father quizzed him on it, and he could recite every bit of text from the book and say what page it was on and what it all meant. Yeah, never mind the the predictions. If he could have just taught people how to do that, that would have changed things. Oh, God, yes. I don't know if this is covered in other books about Casey, but this is a passing mention of something that happened in childhood. But you'd think if he'd learnt how to do this, this would have dominated his life. And I, I don't think I came across another mention of him doing it in adulthood. Maybe he did, but... Hmm. Yeah, I mean, if he could take out 10 books from the local library every day and do that yeah. and be like the greatest repository of knowledge man has ever known pretty quickly. I mean, it'd be like, well, you know, but he would be the greatest like autodidact, just know everything. But then again, maybe all this became redundant once he got access to the Akashic records, but we'll get on to that. Well, this is true, yes. When Casey was at school, he suffered a spinal injury while playing baseball. Later, when sleeping, he recited the details of a poultice to be applied to his back. This supposedly cured the injury. Well, yep, okay. Well, I mean, this is the first example of what would become his um, shtick of going into Mm. a trance and getting medical information. After school, Casey became a travelling insurance salesman. This came to an abrupt end, however, when he developed a medical problem and lost his voice, which I can see getting in the way of being a salesman. But he met a hypnotist and mail-order osteopath, and I really want to know how a mail-order osteopath works. (laughs) This sends really heavy weights through the post that you you (laughs) drop on your back or something, I don't know. Well, maybe you post him your spine and, and he adjusts this and sends it back to you. Mm. In 28 days. But yes, this man called Al Lane taught Casey how to perform self-hypnosis. And Casey put himself into a trance and using this medical knowledge that he'd displayed before with uh, identifying how to cure his spinal injury, determined that he had some kind of circulation problem in his throat and... I've read a number of conflicting reports on how this was dealt with, but apparently it involved coughing up lots of blood and eventually he was fine. While in hypnotic trances, he started to diagnose medical ailments in other people. Casey's fiancée and soon his wife, Gertrude Evans, convinced Casey to share this gift with the world and Lane encouraged this. Casey resisted, worried that he wasn't a doctor. When has that stopped anyone? But his reputation grew as people reported that Casey had cured them. That thing that you mentioned there about that not stopping him, apparently this was something of a, a thing of self-doubt that he wrestled with, and I think we'll mention this a bit later, but he did seem to be genuinely concerned that he was giving all this medical advice despite not being a doctor. In fact, Newspaper articles about this mentioned that he was supposedly illiterate, which wasn't true, but that you know he was supposed to be this sort of idiot savant who had this mystical medical knowledge. But Casey made a point of taking the information that he got in his trances and telling people to go to a doctor with them for actual medical treatment. So maybe it wasn't quite as irresponsible or dangerous as it might have been, But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's still 
weird. When people asked if he was a spiritualist or a medium, Casey said he was a psychic, but preferred to think of himself as a man of God. A number of doctors tested Casey's trance diagnoses, trying to expose him as a fraud. At the same time, members of Casey's church accused him of heresy. Casey, spurred on by all this, started to wonder himself whether his powers really came from God. Casey tried to go into business selling artworks, because that's a wonderfully tangential thing suddenly to start doing, (laughs) but lost everything to a warehouse fire. He didn't see that coming. Wesley Ketchum, a homeopathist, convinced Casey to go into business with him in 1907. Ketchum's skill as a promoter led to a full-page article about Casey in the New York Times. Casey was inundated with requests for help from sick people across the USA who sent him money. Who'd have thought it? (laughs) So when he received these requests, what Casey would do would be to lie down on a couch in his office and, using these self-hypnosis techniques, put himself into a trance. In this trance, he would whisper responses to questions that his father would ask him based on the things in the letters or what the patients had told him. His father would then transcribe Casey's answers. Later, Casey hired a stenographer, Gladys Davis, to do this on a more professional basis. This sounds like the perfect job for Matt. Matt, <laughs> we've got a job for you. What we want you to do is lay down and go to sleep, okay? Just that's your job. You could do that at a moment's notice, right? And then we'll ask you questions. And you're just verbal nonsense because me and Scott, you know, we're a team. We've shared a room together. And we've witnessed you babbling away in your sleep. Yeah. <laughs> At length. And we could interpret that shit, I'm sure. Oh, he's saying, what's he saying, Scott? He's saying, he's saying this guy needs a poultice. He's saying this guy needs to see a doctor. (laughs) Apparently going into artwork is real good, but beware warehouse fires. Hmm. But before you get too excited about how much sleep he was getting here, he'd do, I think on average, two sessions a day, and they added up to maybe 40 minutes of trance time. Christ, even if I go to sleep, I can't be out that for that short a period. I've had much longer. Most of the time, the client was not in the room. Casey believed he could make contact just by knowing the client's name and location. Once he showed this off by offering details of a client's movements across New York City throughout the trance. We call this being prepared and getting information ahead of time. His readings would function like he was looking into a person's body. Although Casey had no medical training, he would whisper details about the client's condition, which could be passed on to doctors. While Casey was happy to work with doctors on this, he did have the dream of starting his own hospital so he could manage every aspect of the patient's treatment. And he started looking for funding to try to make this happen. And this is something that goes on for the next few years with him almost getting funding or pursuing funding down various avenues and it's all falling apart. And the spoiler alert, he does get there in the end, but I think you could write quite a fun movie just about his attempts over the years to make this hospital happen. Edgar Cayce's Kickstarter. (laughs) Yeah. He'd be all over that. Oh, Oh, good, yeah. 
Pay me money, I'll go to sleep and do loads of work. Hey, if you can make that for getting a potato salad, I'm sure you can do it for going to sleep. <laughs> this is true. In 1911, Casey's infant son, Milton, contracted whooping cough. Again, he didn't see this coming. While Casey performed a reading, he was unable to save the child who died at two months. Casey's wife, Gertrude, then developed tuberculosis. Casey was afraid to give her a reading, but relented. Gertrude lived, which convinced Casey he was on the right path. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what his success rate was like. Mm. There's obviously a lot of controversy and a lot of different opinions about this. His supporters and proponents believe that he was incredibly accurate with his diagnoses and saved a lot of lives. At the same time, there are stories that he was giving these detailed diagnoses and talking about patients who sent him letters, unaware of the fact that the patient had died a few days earlier. So, make of that what you will. Both Ketchum and Casey's father started asking him for racing and stock market tips while he was in a trance. This led to the end of Casey's business relationship with Ketchum, probably because he never got a single one right. <laughs> Casey moved to Alabama and only started performing readings again when his son had a serious accident, burning his eyes. Apparently, the treatment Casey prescribed while in a trance saved his son's vision. When I heard this story, I kept flashing back to L. Ron Hubbard, who apparently had something similar in the Second World War where, I can't remember, he, he claimed that he'd gone blind or had had some incident where he'd become paralysed and basically through the power of what would then become diagnetics cured himself. It all seemed very similar in some respects. During the Great War, Casey started treating veterans for shell shock. One of these patients suggested that Casey raise money himself to fund the hospital that he had hoped to open. Inspired by this, Casey moved to Texas and started an oil company. He tried to use his psychic powers to search for oil, but this failed and the company went under. He evidently wasn't using those uh, dowsing sticks. That was where he went wrong. Hmm. It is always, I guess, telling when you have a psychic who, as soon as they're in a position where there's concrete and tangible results from their psychic visions, can't deliver on them. Hmm. Shocking, that. Yeah. Casey then travelled the country trying to raise money for his hospital. Visions told Casey he needed to build this in a small resort town of Virginia Beach, VA where the proximity of the sea would help his psychic abilities. Build it and they will come. I like the idea that just being by the sea enhances psychic abilities. There's something very Lovecraftian about that, isn't there? Mm. Nothing like this ever happened in The Call of Cthulhu, ever, to artists or those those no. who see Dean Fit label insane. No. In 1923, a new investor, Arthur Lammers, introduced Casey to Theosophy. Lammers started asking metaphysical questions during readings, which Casey resisted at first, believing they ran counter to his Christian faith. You just mentioned 
Beaches and Lovecraft there. And it is interesting to note that Edgar Cayce's lifespan, you mm -hmm. know, it kind of parallels Lovecraft. So the stuff that's going on is very much contemporary. This is 1923, so this is very much contemporary with when Lovecraft was writing. In fact, a few years later, when Lovecraft wrote The Call of Cthulhu, he specifically mentions theosophists in that. He mentions this group of, what was it, wide-robed theosophists who, hearing Cthulhu's call, had, was it visions or performed ceremonies or something? And it seems likely that Lovecraft would have known about Casey. Uh, I wonder. If he had articles written about him in the New York Times, it seems quite credible that he would have... Well, I think he had an interest in those kind of areas, those kind of news reports of, of that kind of thing. So it's quite credible that he would have known about him, whether we whether he did or not, I don't know. The thing about Casey is that he, I guess, was, was relatively known at this time, you know, thanks to that New York Times piece. And, but at the same time, he became a hell of a lot more famous after he died. Yeah. Some of the visions that Casey had, prompted by Lammers' metaphysical questions, led him to believe that his clients had past lives and he saw visions of these past lives. He referred to these visions that he got as life readings. Casey struggled to square these with his Christian beliefs. But his studies of the Bible led him to believe that there were coded references to reincarnation in Scripture. He struggled to reconcile them with the Bible, but he found a way. <laughs> yes. If you dig around, you can find details. There's a book I'll mention later called There is a River, which is a biography of Casey, which goes into some of this stuff. But you can find other sources online as well, where it explains some of the biblical references that he looked at and how he interpreted them in, in light of reincarnation. Mm. And at the risk of being a smug atheist, it just does strike me as being one of these many cases where if someone wants to interpret the Bible in a particular way, they can find a way to do so. You can bend scripture to mean anything you want to if you've got the will to do so. I'm not saying it was biblical, but it was biblical. <laughs> Suddenly, it seemed that everyone Casey did readings for seemed to have past lives. Oh, who would have thought? In readings for his own family, he revealed that they had been reincarnated together throughout the ages. Ah, keep it in the family. Especially in ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt was, yeah, quite a big deal around this time, wasn't it? Yeah, because this is only, what, a year or two after the discovery of Tutankhamun's tomb, so, yeah. This new interest in reincarnation led Casey to study Eastern religions, incorporating their beliefs into his own. I mean, much as the same with theosophy, right? So... Well, I think this was very much inspired by Lammers and his interest in theosophy and the way that that... Uh, that in turn inspired Casey, but yeah, yeah, rather than just going to theosophy itself, you started reading up on the larger context of uh, things like Hinduism and Buddhism. Casey then became a full-time psychic in 1926, but this was not an especially lucrative trade, and the Casey family was in constant financial hardship. But all of this changed when Casey found a new backer, by the name of Morton Blumenthal. Do you mean Backer or just Mark? 
And we'll be back with more about Edgar Casey after this short break. You're listening to the good friends of Jackson Elias. Listener donations keep this show running and every penny helps. If you'd like to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash Elias. Thank you. And picking up again, Edgar Casey had just found a new backer for his ventures. Morton Blumenthal ran a successful Wall Street brokerage with his brother. He offered to fund Casey's hospital, the poor sod, and created a corporation called the Association of National Investigators. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Later renamed the Theron Mark Society <laughs> to manage the hospital and spiritual awakening. That's a brilliant name, the Association of National Investigators. Fantastic. It really is. And I love the fact that the corporation was created to manage a hospital, create a hospital, and also to bring about spiritual awakening. More corporations should have as their mission statement, oh, and, and spiritual awakening. This is the perfect Call of Cthulhu organisation, investigator organisation. You need a hospital after going out there to be an investigator, don't you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they can take care of their own. On the other hand, after you've been out there investigating the mythos, do you really want a hospital that's going to try to awaken you spiritually? This is getting more into cult territory, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the Casey Hospital opened in 1928, the only hospital in the world to use psychic diagnoses. Well, so far. They also used osteopathic techniques and homeopathy. Casey's readings then showed him to treat people with low-level electric shocks so you'd go to this hospital this guy would lie down go to sleep for 10 minutes diagnose you then you'd be treated with osteopathy homeopathy and given electric shocks yeah he said you need electric shocks scott that's what he said when matt was mumbling in his sleep i'm sure he said electrocute scott that's what i got <laughs> Try not to be completely dismissive of Edgar Casey because, as we mentioned before, there are still people who take his work very seriously. But dear God, that sounds fucking terrifying. <laughs> Con man has been dead for how many years and is still getting people lured in with his shit? Low-level electric, um, not shocks, but is used as a as a form of treatment or pain relief and so on. So, but, you know, I'm, I'm not... I don't, I don't mean to dismiss it. Just an easy thing to mock. Sorry. When I was having real problems with arthritis years back, I did try using a TENS machine, which does exactly that. It hmm. did absolutely fuck all. But, but other people swear by them. In a reading in April 1929, Blumenthal asked Casey about the future of the stock market. Casey said that there must surely be a break in the bear market soon. Sure enough, the stock market crashed late that year. Casey's followers take this as an indication of his prophetic abilities. But I don't think he was the only person by a long chalk who'd no. suggested that all of this was going to come to an end. And as far as vague prophecies go, considering he didn't give a date for the crash or talk about it being a crash or whatever, that seems to be a pretty tenuous prophecy to pin your proof upon. 
I'm going to put it out here right now. There's going to be a stock market crash. I just want that recorded. We all know you're a prophet, Paul. Well, okay. I mean, you don't need any more evidence, really. No. Okay. I, I, I can understand that. During a crisis of faith, Casey had a dream in which he was reincarnated in 2100 in Nebraska. Okay. There, why not somewhere glamorous? But <laughs> found that his work was still in circulation. Ha, ha, ha. Wishful thinking. No. His work is more popular <laughs> now than it was during his lifetime, Matt. It's probably still going to be around in 2100 when we're all dead and forgotten. And there are no shortage of dumb shits and marks in this world. What can I say? There may still be people listening to this show in 2100. Who knows? <laughs> there won't. <laughs> that's a weird thought. And I very much doubt <laughs> if that's the case. Casey's visions during readings became more profound following this. He reported that he would move up a beam of light, passing images and sounds, moving to other dimensions related to the vast sources of information. And they called it YouTube. He referred to these dimensions as the Akashic Records, where every thought and sound from the beginning of time was stored. This is an idea taken from theosophy. Helena Blavatsky used the term Akasha to refer to a life force, and C.W. Ledbetter built on this, saying that clairvoyance could read the Akashic Records to gain knowledge of the past and the future. This is great stuff, <laughs> isn't it? I love all this. I think the person who really popularised it, though, was probably Rudolf Steiner. Yeah. He wrote extensively about them. I mean, he was big into theosophy as well. Yeah. He'd be a great person to do an episode on, I think. Oh, God, yes. I think a lot of people probably haven't heard of him much, but his influence is massive. Yeah, he still gets Steiner schools and Steiner centres around the world. Yeah, I mean, known as like Waldorf education. Yeah, I don't know if it's still going. There was a Steiner centre in the grass market in Edinburgh that I visited a few times, maybe because it had a really nice tea shop. Yeah. And I used to go there and for a hot drink and just watch the world go by, but, you know, it was absolutely filled with his books. Yeah, and the whole thing of organic farming and so on mm. can be sort of tracked back to, to him as well. That's his movement of biodynamics. Around this time, Casey started talking about his past life in Atlantis and ended up writing a history of the civilization. He predicted that Atlantis would rise again off the coast of Florida in 1968. He also spoke about the history of sunken Lemuria out in the Pacific Ocean. I mean, again, he's really getting into theosophical stuff mm. here oh, yeah. because they had all the, the root races and mm. Atlanteans and Lemuria were all things they talked about, um, these, these past cultures and the rising of, I, think, I can't remember now, it's been a while since I looked at this, but like a future root race was going to arise in America or off the coast of America somewhere. Yeah. So I can't help but feel that, you know, he's leaning on that stuff quite a bit. We all know it's obviously the validity of his prophecies here because the Great Atlantean Rising of 68 was world news and is a kind of corner of our history books now. So, mm. We all know about that. I did see a YouTube video from someone who seemed more credulous of Casey than I could ever be, who was talking about how in 1968 there was the discovery of... Oh, the Atlantean Road. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yes. And and that was discovered off the coast of Florida in 1968. So again, followers of Casey take this as proof that he was right. I mean, Atlantis didn't rise, but surely this is indication that Atlantis was real and these are the ruins of it and they were discovered in 68. So Casey was right, Matt. Casey was right. Just by how many feet or metres did they get it wrong? Yeah. The hospital closed in 1931. Aww. Although this may have been due to personal conflicts between his backers rather than the Great Depression. Its failure left Casey broke. Hey, we haven't been there before. And he started a new venture, a non-profit organisation called the Association for Research and Enlightenment. But where's investigators, damn it? Where are the, where's that <laughs> most important part of the title? They're there. They're there. I'm sure they're there. And also, should a profit really be starting a non-profit? Brunch. Oh. <laughs> While the ARE, catchy name, <laughs> offered free readings to the needy, it still raised enough money to pay Casey a salary. Who'd have thought it? And it is still operating today. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the body that's still going today, the Association for Research and Enlightenment, which you know, sounds like a good thing. Yeah, I think it's still run by the Casey family. I think it's like their, their right. family business now. Yeah. Because Casey's sons picked up their father's work and reprinted mm. a lot of his books and wrote and commissioned books about him. And I think a lot of Casey's posthumous success is down to them and the the industry they created. Well, sure. The ARE offices and the Casey home were located on the shores of a place called Lake Holly. Not Lake Harley, but Lake Holly. Hmm. This stuff just writes itself, doesn't it? It does. That's great. Along the shore, the cloud waves break, but we wouldn't know because he was asleep at the time, dreaming more prophecies. On a fundraising trip to New York, Casey gave a reading to a woman who proved to be an undercover police officer. Hi, he failed his spot hidden and psych roll. <laughs> he was charged with fortune telling, but the charges were dropped. In 1935, however... Casey was convicted in Detroit for practising medicine without a licence. He was only given probation for this and continued his work. Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? That he managed to carry on effectively with... I guess at this stage it wasn't purporting to be a hospital, but still effectively carried on what was a a pseudo-medical practice, even after having been convicted of practicing Mm. medicine without a license. It put me in mind of Wilhelm Reich, who admittedly, that was like 15 years later or 20 years later, was charged on very similar grounds with basically, I, I think it was practicing medicine without a license, using the treatments that he gave people using orgone energy in in his uh, ranch of orgonone, and ended up getting raided by the FBI and arrested and dying in custody. Looking at the treatment of the two, it's kind of polar opposites. I'd go for the orgone any day over this. (laughs) I've heard it makes you feel greater. (laughs) And inspires great Kate Bush songs. Yes. Have either of you ever actually used the Norgon accumulator? No, there was one in um, a, a bed and breakfast uh, <laughs> lighthouse that I stayed in one time, but I, I went for the sensory deprivation tank instead. 
I don't think I had the option because I think it was broken. <laughs> How the fuck do you break an organ accumulator? There are no moving parts. I know. It's great. Isn't it? Now I look back, he, he sort of showed it to me and he said, oh, it's not working. It's not working at the moment. <laughs> Unplug it and plug it back in again. I know. Great. I, I haven't occurred to me how funny that was before, at least to me. But yeah, I, I have sat in an organ accumulator because they had one at the Welcome Centre years back as part of an exhibition into various alternative forms of medicine. And it was, a, a, I was about to say a fully functional, but an actual organ accumulator you could sit in. And for people who don't know what an organ accumulator is, it's a wooden box, but it's a special kind of wooden box. It's a wooden box where you've got alternating layers of organic material, i.e. wood, and inorganic material, which tends to be, I think, steel wool. And the idea is it is supposed to then, well, as the name implies, accumulate, tap into this life energy, this orgone energy that suffuses the universe and focus its healing energies in on whoever's in the box, curing them of things like, well, I don't know, cancer. That's what Wilhelm Reich claimed, and that's what got him arrested. <laughs> That'll be on the Wilhelm Reich episode, Scott. I think we should. Uh... Yes, yeah, we are getting off topic. But like I say, it's, it bugs me that Casey wasn't given the same treatment. <laughs> Casey's friend, Thomas Segru, wrote an extensive biography of Casey called There is a River. Because I've got a random title and I can't think what the hell to put it on. It comes from one of Casey's favourite psalms. Ah, uh, okay. Which was published in 1945. Yeah, this is based on extensive interviews with Casey and goes into a lot of his supposed case studies. I, if you are interested in Casey, it's an interesting read. I, I had hoped to read the whole thing before this episode, but I ended up just skimming it instead because it's like 500 pages long. But if you are intrigued by Casey as a result of listening to this episode, I do recommend picking up a copy. It will give you some serious inspiration. In 1945, Edgar Casey suffered a stroke, dying a short while later at the age of 67. Some attributed his death to overwork. His wife, Gertrude, died a few months later. And Casey apparently did over 14,300 documented readings over the course of his career. These are held by the ARE, the transcripts of these, in their library. And I believe they're accessible if people want to read them. There's certainly extracts and elements of them in a number of the books that have been published since then. Casey's fame has grown considerably following his death. His family and followers have kept the ARE going and published countless books on his spiritual beliefs and prophecies. These became a cornerstone of the New Age movement. And I didn't realise how much Casey had informed the New Age movement. Now, there's elements that have come into the books that have been written posthumously, which I don't think were necessarily part of his core teachings to do with things like colour therapy and crystal healing and so on. But one thing that I hadn't realised was that he was the person who coined the term channeling which became a, really? a, a, an integral part of the New Age movement. This idea of sort of tapping into spirits and higher powers, higher energies, and having them speak through you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's not like the first person to claim to do that, but interesting that he coined the phrase, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm interested in these predictions that he made. So, for example, he said to have predicted the Second World War. Right. Yeah. This is me predicting World War Three. Right. In a few years, uh, in the next decade, there's going to be another World War. But don't be so specific. You can't say the next decade. You just say at some point in the future. This is what interests me because it's like I'm impressed when I hear that he predicted the Second World War. It's like, well, I mean, that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, that that sounds pretty convincing. But what did he actually say? So I'm going to paraphrase a little bit because it's, it's quite long. But he talks about in 1935, so it's only four years before the start of the Second World War, he talks about... Japan allying with Germany? Yeah, he does mention that. So he talks, I'm just scanning through this bit. This will make for the taking of sides, as it were, by various groups or countries or governments. Quite a lot of leeway there. This will be indicated by the Austrians, the Germans, and later the Japanese, I mean, quite good there, joining in their influence, unseen and gradually growing to those affairs where there must become, as it were, almost a direct opposition to that which has been the theme of the Nazis, in brackets, the Aryan, for these will gradually make for a growing of animosities. I mean, by the mid-30s, yeah. Yeah, Hitler was already chancellor. There was already a lot of turmoil going on in Germany. A lot of sabre-rattling. So to look at that and sort of say, this looks like some bad shit's going to go down, you know, understatement of the century, but <laughs> not that big a stretch, is it? So it'd be interesting, yeah. really, to... I mean, as we've already referenced, you know, he, he talked about the, the rising of Atlantis and all sorts of way-out things that haven't happened. It'd be interesting to look at all the things that he also talked about. You know, if you make enough predictions... Exactly. ...and they're open to interpretation as well, suddenly looking at these and saying, well, he predicted World War Two. It's not that big a stretch, is it? The predictions also used very, I mean, as you say, ambiguous language, not just in terms of him sort of saying, oh, you know, these vague things will happen, but he used lots of terms like might or maybe or could. Hmm. He made very few definitive predictions. And where his prophecies failed, where he predicted things that were going to happen within his lifetime, his answer to that was that, well, the future's not written in stone, it's mutable, we can change it. And so where prophecies go wrong, it's because, well, you know, we've we've clearly circumvented them. <laughs> Wonderful get out clause. You can't fault that logic, really. Yeah. But people really do take his prophecies seriously. I mean, I remember my days of trawling around occult bookshops in the 1980s and 90s, and there were so many books about Edgar Cayce and his prophecies and his teachings, and I mean, there are still people who follow them today, as we've mentioned. It's perhaps not quite on the same level as Nostradamus, but I think people who are interested in prophecy see him in a very similar light, and probably for very similar reasons that, you know, his his stuff is vague enough that you can shoehorn it in almost anywhere. I will take the sceptic's end of the pitch here, somewhat unsurprisingly for my, uh, my tone throughout this episode, I must admit. I think, as has been mentioned, it's great when you have got no 
categorical way of proving whatever bullshit you spout out that you can say whatever you like and if there's someone out there with some kind of glimmer of hope that's looking for some kind of thing beyond they can latch on to it and i think that's what this con man essentially did is that he latched on to people's insecurities their hopes and fears and gullibility because there is virtually fuck all that you can prove out of what he was saying especially when you go the earlier back you go it's like little people for god's sake it's just it's farcical i don't know if he was a con man or not yeah i was about to say that too yeah I get the feeling that maybe he believed this stuff and mm. he was genuine about it. It's kind of, yeah. If he was a con man, it seems like he wasn't that successful at being a con man. You know, in his own lifetime, mm. he didn't like make a, you know, there's plenty of um, you know, evangelical preachers or whatever that have been much more successful at making money out of their claims than Edgar Cayce was. That's not to say that he wasn't a con man. I don't know. But, you know, maybe he just wasn't a very good one. I genuinely believe from the bits that I've read about him that he was genuine. I don't mean genuine in that he was a prophet and had psychic powers and so on, but in that his motivations were genuine. I think he really believed the things that mm. he espoused. I think that he believed that he had spoken to little people and to his dead grandfather. I think he believed that he could get a letter from someone and by knowing their name and where they were, give them a full medical diagnosis while in a trance. I believe that he saw visions of people's past lives and his own past lives and Atlantis and so on. I mean, that doesn't mean that he didn't imagine the whole thing or that... I don't even want to go so far as to say he was delusional, but it depends how you define delusional. But hmm. human belief and human imagination are very powerful things. And I'm sure we've all known people who believe very strange stuff and who aren't doing it for attention or money or or even because they're mad, but because human beings are just wired like that. And he was just an exceptional example of this. The older I get, the more I kind of think that there is a lot of people that believe some weird shit out there. Mm. And it seems to me, you know, being a little ironical here, all the stuff that I believe <laughs> is quite sensible. Yes. All the stuff that other people believe is really strange. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. I'm sure, dear listener, you think all the stuff you believe is, is you know, that's sensible and logical letter. Everybody should think like that. Because, you know, that's how I think we all feel <laughs> on the whole. But there have been... A great number of skeptical takedowns of Casey and his his beliefs and his practices. Mm. James Randi naturally was one of the people doing that. Yeah. I'll see whether I can link to some of that from the show notes, but yeah, Randi clearly thought that Casey was full of bullshit. But more than that, Randy being Randy, got into a lot of details about how and why the prophecies worked the way they did. Randy being Randy just sounded wrong. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't deliberate, but... <laughs> Maybe an episode on James Randy as well. Yeah. Somebody kind of from the other side of the fence. I mean, a, a, a perfect, like, Cthulhu investigator, surely. Oh, God, you know, that, yes. that kind of trying to debunk things is a great gateway into getting involved with things, which obviously in the game could be real. 
But if you wanted to have uh, an inspirational NPC like that in the classic era, Harry Houdini, he did similar things back in the 1920s. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that, another, another great nominee for for an episode. I mean, he's he's famous and a lot of people know about him, but I think, you know, a lot of people don't know that much about him. I, I don't know a great deal about him. So it'd be an interesting one to uh, to talk about, I think. Still revered investigator circles for his trip underneath the Sphinx. <laughs> Indeed. But some of the things that Casey predicted were just weird. He got one spectacularly wrong within his lifetime, which was he believed that the Earth's poles would shift. I think he was very specific and said by 16 degrees in 1936, and this would cause natural catastrophes across the world. The resulting floods would swallow cities in the USA, including New York City, and destroy California. I don't remember that happening. Media cover-up. He believed that there would be a, a perpetual motion machine invented. He, he said that there would be an apocalypse in 1999. He's just 13 years out. 13 years out or 21 years out? Or 17. <laughs> Take your pick. The best one, though, I mean, the greatest one, surely, is the, the discovery of the death ray from Atlantis. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's brilliant. <laughs> that just takes me back to Matt's uh, Pulp Cthulhu games. <laughs> and speaking of Call of Cthulhu, I mean, clearly Edgar Casey would be a fantastic inspiration for Call of Cthulhu. Mm. I wouldn't necessarily use Casey as an individual NPC, but I might. I mean, he he could fit. But a lot of the stuff that he talked about, you know, his particular takes on theosophy and things like that, Atlantean death ray, and him talking about the discovery of a hall of records under the Sphinx and stuff like that. Brilliant. These are all things that you could work into Pop Cthulhu games, the rise of Atlantis and, and all these things. Yeah. Even things like his approach to the Akashic Records, or even if you, as a Cthulhu investigator, were sent to recuperate in a hospital like the Casey Hospital after your encounters with the Mythos, what would you make of the treatments there? Maybe you thought you were going to a regular sanitarium and you were going to get better from it. And then suddenly you've got this guy in a trance telling you things about your life in Atlantis and giving you electric shocks. I mean, it's a great place as a springboard for new adventures. Mm. You know, you get sent to the institution the psychiatric institution in a game of call of cthulhu usually it's just like okay we'll roll some dice and maybe you get some sanity back here it's you know like you say roll some dice and learn about your your life on lost lemuria yeah just like a random table of, of leads to new scenarios brilliant and i think it is great if you're looking for inspiration for scenarios as you said we were talking about this before we recorded about how we sort of address this and i i think Hopefully, you know, this comes across that I'm happy to mock some of these ideas, but I don't want to mock the people who genuinely follow this stuff, the members of the ARE. We don't, you know, wish them any disrespect on a personal level. So I think you, you can take these things and springboard off of them. They're just rich for, for ideas, for, you know, seeds for, for scenarios and, and campaigns and so on. I'm now thinking that you could even 
have a sort of Pulp Cthulhu interlude in the middle of an ordinary Call of Cthulhu campaign where you have an Edgar Cayce-type character who regresses you to a past life through a trance and you do Mm. suddenly find yourself playing this almost sword and sorcery game in ancient Lemuria where you are living through your past life there learning secrets of the mythos that then relate to whatever campaign that you're playing in the modern day and you come back with all these secrets yeah, this is his, his form of psychotherapy in a way. It's, it's a therapeutic technique that you have to, you know, fight your way out. I hate to say it, guys, but I think Christmas Mythodare beat us to it a little bit because there's elements of this which are very close to uh, Cold Fire Within. Ah, nice. Yeah, very good. Now, clearly, there is so much to Edgar Casey and his teachings and his life and the ARE and their beliefs that we're just scratching the surface here. If we've missed out any really interesting stuff, please do get in touch and let us know. I'll put some links in the show notes to resources if you want to find out more about any of this stuff. And you know, perhaps we'll start seeing some Call of Cthulhu games inspired by these weird prophecies in the future. In fact, I'll prophesize that we will. And as always, you can find those show notes at blasphemoustomes.com. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to The Good Friends of Jackson Elias. You can find show notes for this episode at blasphemoustomes.com, where you'll also find all our social media links. We have t-shirts and other merchandising available at our Redbubble store. If you're enjoying this show, please consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash Elias. Thank you for listening. Well, it is that time once again when we would like to say thank you to people. Thank you, first of all, to you for listening to this podcast. Thank you to anyone who has ever backed us in this age or any other age dating back to the days of Atlantis. And thank you now to some new people who we want to praise by name. Yes, uh, thanks going out to Atrides Gola. And thank you much to the singular Yamamoto. And thank you to Dustin Stackhouse. And thanks to Zion J. And thank you much to Michael Dykes. Aha, there's a familiar name. And thank you very much to Dr. Bones. Damn it, Jim, he's a podcast backer, not a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And thanks to Joseph Outram. And thank you much to Tom Thetford, a.k.a. Lord Tigger. And thank you very much to Marco Goebel. And thanks to Crazy Space. And thank you much to Richard Kelleher. And thank you to Ian Sharp. And thanks to Ian Strike. And thank you much to Oystein of the North. And thank you very much to Eric with a K. And thank you to Jonathan Cockerham. And thank you much to Ross Murta. And thank you to Ian Stead. And thanks to Stefan Jenkins. Thank you much to JB. And thank you very much to the extremely minimalist I. And here's one I recognise. Thank you to Anthony O'Darley. And thank you very much to Lex. And thank you finally to Jason Farrell. And if you have enjoyed the podcast, we would love it if you let people know. Whether this means leaving a review somewhere where people might find uh, podcast reviews, or perhaps leaving a review in the Akashic Records. We would be very happy either way. 
I was just thinking of writing down a note and putting it under someone's pillow, and hopefully they'll uh, they'll kind of pick it up in their sleep. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Well, that's enough about Edgar Casey for today. You've been listening to the good friends of Jackson Elias. Until next time, it's a goodbye from me. And cheerio from me. And a farewell from me. Hello? Blasphemous Tomes.com. Mm-hmm.